Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From an undisclosed location on the back of Jim Polzel's pickup truck, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, October 8th. I wanted to do this program a little bit earlier today. It's not a, it's not easier because we have a lot of post production that has to go into it and everything. But uh, the way the schedule's uh, working out, and I've been missing a lot of programs recently. That seemed to be the only way of doing this tonight or today, whatever we're calling this. What? Uh, so last night I got some feedback. Uh, people wanted me to talk a little bit more on those two quotes that I used at the beginning of the program. And they're actually pretty important here uh, for this. So let's see if I can do a share screen here. I am operating off of uh, Zoom. So let's see where this goes. Right. This is right off. Of, yes, I use PowerPoint for generating all this stuff. The older you get, the heavier that baggage becomes that you haven't sorted through. So you pay the price. The older you get, the higher the price is. From Bruce Springsteen. That is from his movie Western Stars. Really important that we, uh, I want, we're going to go through this through, no, regularly here. It's extremely important that you sort through that emotional baggage. A lot of things happen. You know, people get older, people die, people get born. You know, well, I don't know. I maybe I should insert the circle of life right here. But it's important to try to resolve this thing earlier rather than later because a lot of times if you have a problem with a person, they're not alive anymore, so you can't work things out. You cannot go out there and you cannot uh, figure out what happened, why, details, talking about that context. The other thing is this. Carrying around emotional baggage has a tendency of holding you back. You're not able to go and uh, you're, you're basically not able to go and move forward unless you bury things deep down. I know some people who have a lot of emotional baggage, me included, right? And if you don't deal with this stuff, if you don't get over it, a lot of things you can't get over, you have to be able to get through. It's going to hold you back, hold you back in your career, Okay, well, career is one thing, but what's important to family and your community? So try to get rid of this emotional baggage uh, out there. The second one, and Warren Buffett is often uh, credited with this quote. Turns out nobody could, could attribute it to him. No one could find out a primary resource. So if you have the primary uh, uh resource for who uh, this is from the primary source let me know 
Right? You will continue to suffer if you have an emotional reaction to everything that is said uh, to you. True power is sitting back and observing things with logic. True power is restraint. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you. Breathe and allow things to pass. I related this to our previous conversation on Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. I've covered it like three times in the last two years, where the threat is worse than the thing. And that's common, at least my experience to have people go out there and try to manipulate you, try to F with your head, try to do whatever. And that's one of the things is, Oh, well, Hey, this is, and that's why people have emotional reactions is that they think that thing, the worst thing is going to happen. That all of a sudden it kicks into their fight or flight mode. And that's when you get the real uh, emotional reactions here with that. And once people realize they're, they're able to do that to you, now they can control you any way possible. I'm just letting you know on that. That's not what you want to uh, go through is this panic mode. That being said, we're going to talk about, and this is, I believe, the third time on this because this story is a story that never dies. Alec Baldwin. I don't think it's accurate to say that the man has, you know, there's a lot of criticism with the way he reacts to things, very yelling and screaming and everything else. I don't, I think he's been set up a lot. A lot of this has been an act. But one thing that he was not set up on was this whole thing with the Rust movie set. All right where you saw him with videos in the aftermath. He's in the parking lot on the phone yelling and this, oh, and this, and very upset, talking with police and everything else. And uh, my and often what happens with this stuff and what I've researched from my own experience is that whether you're an axe investigator, law enforcement, whatever, you let people talk if they're upset because you don't know what they're going to say. And this, again... I'm not giving advice on how to get out of things. When you say things, when you're under emotional duress, when you say things that are, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, you often say the wrong things. Now, whatever Alec Baldwin said, this is what's caused, in my opinion, his issue here with this. Do I know if he's innocent or guilty what he's accused in this and that what he's supposedly a new investigation i have no idea none at all everyone's innocent until proven guilty but he might have brought some of this on himself with the way that he acted afterwards and let it be a lesson for everybody here and we're going to there's an update to this story alec baldwin and this is from Deadline.com, uh, article by Dominic Patton and Anthony D'Alessandro from October 17th. This is yesterday. Alec Baldwin set to face new involuntary manslaughter charges, Russ prosecutors say. Just uh, six months after criminal charges were dropped against Alec Baldwin for the 2021 killing of Russ uh, cinematographer Helena Hutch Hutchins, new involuntary manslaughter claims could be put before a grand jury in a matter of weeks. So they're re uh, they're reconsidering this whole thing. 
as whether he's going to be charged. Uh, right now, the uh, armorer slash crop person is uh, being charged. Her name is Hannah Gutierrez Reed. Uh, her trial is in February. She's facing a maximum of 18 months behind bars, $5,000 in fines. The majority finds her guilty uh, verdict on the current charges. Uh, Reed has uh, pleaded non-guilty, and these are involuntary manslaughter charges plus evidence tampering. I'm going to say she probably is going to, from what my read of this, again, I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on the radio or TV, uh, right? She uh, uh, probably is going to get off on these charges, except for this evidence tampering one. That one nobody likes uh, to, uh, no, uh, juries, prosecutors or anything are not, it's an easy charge to plead, not to, uh, find guilty to prosecute. So it's, I don't see her getting out of this. Now, uh, what I'm going to review here, some of the things that are going on with this, uh, as far as the OSHA part of this, thing and you know there is an ocean we're going to go over the report here because again nobody out there is talking about the report we have a copy and it's not it's all public record of the summary of the report here that's released by the new mexico occupational safety and health bureau uh this story is from february 24 2023 that's this year and we're we continue we're going to continue to have updates to this whole thing as we go on uh, once the trials start and everything else. This will probably go on for years, and I I don't think I'm saying anything that's uh, that we don't really know. This may be another trial of the century sort of thing with it, like what we had in OJ, but because this happened in the workplace, it was a workplace accident. We have. Uh, now, we have a lot of opportunity to learn from this. If you're a safety professional or if you're involved in workplace injuries, you have an interest in this. So that's why we're going out and covering this stuff. So this is from Variety.com from February 2023. Gene Mattis was the uh, reporter. Uh, the producers of us have agreed to pay a reduced penalty of $100,000 resolve. Uh, the issue... Uh, to resolve the OSHA case that arose from the shooting death of the cinematographer Helena Hitchens by Alec Baldwin, the New Mexico Occupational Safety and Health Bureau issued $136,793 penalty last April, the highest allowed by law. Rust Movie Productions was scheduled to challenge the citation in a hearing in June. So they decided to settle this out of, uh, out of uh, court here, which... Again, like our disclaimer says, all this stuff happens, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, are vacated, litigated, uh, negotiated all through here, right, uh, with us. So they wanted to get everything back, uh, back up and running in February. And um, to my knowledge, they have... Uh, they have uh, pretty much gotten everything back up and running, and then you had the writer's strike. So I don't know where this uh, thing is. Now, uh, let's see if we have a copy of the report. 
What should I dress that out? All right. And I have the state of New York, New Mexico before the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. Uh, and this was case number OSHA 2211-11-22-11. And this was uh, dated earlier this year, uh, February 24, 2023. I have the official report here. And you know what? Let's do a share. All right. Uh, the com uh, Complaint in New Mexico Environmental Department Occupational Safety and Health Bureau and the respondent hereby agreed to the following terms for full and complete settlement of the citation issue in this case, going on and on. On April 19, 2022, uh, New Mexico issued two citations in connection with the investigation of the incident, which occurred during the production of the film Rust. Citation 1, item 1, was classified as willful serious. Citation 2, items 1 and 2, were classified other than serious. Respondent properly appealed properly appealed the citations. These two citations are subject to the settlement agreement. And here it says this settlement agreement is entered into solely for the purpose of compromise. The parties expressly agree and acknowledge that neither this settlement agreement or any act performed hereunder is or may be deemed an admission or evidence of the validity or invalidity of either party's strained claims, defenses, or representations made in this appeal or otherwise. Nor is this settlement agreement or any act before hereunder be construed as an admission or evidence of any wrongdoing, fault, omission, or liability. This probably is, uh, you know, you want to bookmark this. And you now this is good language here. For this now, my question is this: This is and when this gets to the civil liability end, the civil end of this case, or criminal end. Right now, we're dealing with the regulatory action. When it comes to the civil or criminal end, does that actually going to you know going to uh, matter? Especially if this goes to jury trial. Trial. So, uh, terms and conditions. Citation one. Citation one. Item one. Issued the respondent was classified as a willful serious violation provided for a penalty of 136,793. Item one shall be amended and read as follows. The employer did not furnish a uh, place of employment free from wreck hazards that and that employees are exposed to being struck by discharge rounds or projectiles when firearms are used on the set of the motion picture production classification classification of citation one item one shall be amended from willful serious to serious so the penalty went down from 136,793 down to 100,000 citation two Item one issued to the respondent on April 19, 2022 was classified as other than serious and provided for a penalty of $0. The citation remains as issued. Penalty, the respondents agreed to pay a penalty of 100000 within 30 days and going on and on and on. And that's what uh, where, how that was all resolved. Uh, I'm just scrolling through this. There's nothing else here. All right. Now, I'm going to go through, and this may sound like we're backtracking here with this, on the original accident investigation report, because I think it's pretty interesting, to say the least, here. 
And the last time I, when I originally covered this, we did not have a video platform, so we weren't able to follow along. So on this is from the State of New Mexico Environmental Department Occupational Safety and Health Bureau. Here is the summary of the investigation. On October 22nd, 2021, the Occupational Safety and Health Bureau right, uh, went and did this investigation about something that happened on October 21st, 2021. That is almost, uh, what is it, the 18th? So the 21st is going to be Saturday. So it'll be two years Saturday. And again, this is... Uh, uh, um, Helena Hutchins was the uh, person killed in this accident. The second injury was Joel uh, Souza, who made a recovery. I don't know how good of a recovery is. I can't imagine that being shot uh, will would result in anything other than a lengthy recovery, if anything at all. So our thoughts and prayers go to his family and him, and our uh, condolences go to the Hutchins family here and her friends. Okay, so uh, real simple. They this is all front matter, right? Justifying why they were going there, who they met, things of that nature. Uh, and here we go, and and we go firearms uh, findings, and it's all pretty basic stuff here, until we get to item number ten. Now, what is an item number ten? Alec Baldwin, and this is probably where uh, matters in the criminal case, if there is ever one. Alec Baldwin, actor and producer, and Joel Souza, director, negotiated with various producers to help create and fund the Rust Project. Okay, great. Alec Baldwin's authority on the set included approving script changes and actor candidates. Alec Baldwin also uh, handled the revolver and fired the round. That struck and injured Helena Hutchins. I think, again, I'm not an attorney, that this is probably going to matter here where his authority was on that set. Yeah, the fact was he had the gun allegedly and allegedly shot uh, her accidentally. However, and the uh, other uh, uh, producer. Now that, uh, well, again, what was his authority here? Hannah Reed reported to Sarah Zachary for direction on daily tasks. Sarah Zachary reported to Brian Norville. Brian Norville reported to Roe Walters, and Roe Walters reported to Gabrielle Pickle. Due to the nature of her position as the sole armor for us, Anna Gadoris Reed regularly corresponded with Gabrielle Pickle directly via text message and emails. Well, guess what? Lesson number one. When people are telling you to do some pretty effed up stuff, you probably should get it in writing. This may get, in my opinion, may mitigate Miss Reed's situation here uh, with this because she got everything in writing. So someone asks you to do something fouled up, you're a safety professional. That's how I'm viewing uh, Miss uh, Reed here is as a, uh, a safety person here. Really important you get that in writing. Dave Halls was also responsible for identifying and correcting hazardous conditions related to firearm safety. As an armor, Hannah Contreras Reed was responsible for storage, handling, and uh, firearms and ammunition on set and for training members of the cast who would be handling firearms. 
In accordance with Rust safety procedures and industry-recognized safety practice, the armorer is required to be present whenever firearms are being handled and should have the... Should. All right. Should, meaning that maybe, maybe not. Have the authority, but it would be a nice thing, have the authority to determine whether an individual requires additional safety training. However, Russ also required Hannah Kateri to perform the role of props assistant with Sarah Zachary when firearms are not in active use. In an email conversation that occurred just 11 days before this incident, Gabrielle Pickle informed Hannah Kateri that she was allowed eight paid days at, at the armorer's rate in her contract to perform armorer tasks, and the rest of her time was to be spent as props assistant. Again, in writing. <laughs> All right. Okay. And going on, uh, no, item number 13, Russ ordered ammunition with the intent to receive Lankin dummy rounds. And the property master stated that Russ did not intend to have live rounds on the set. Live rounds may be distinguished by a small hole in the breast cartridge, indicating there is no powder by a missing or dimple primer. At the bottom of the torches, from a shaking around and hearing the distinct clatter of a BB within. Unless a round is removed and storage box or firearm inspected, it cannot be verified. On October 14th, one week before this, Gabriel Pickle emailed the Hannah Contreras read addressing armor and key assistant props duties, saying, It has been brought to my attention that you're focusing far more on armor and not supporting props as needed. This now starts to give us some context. Remember, context, we're hop people here, human organizational performance. Hop. Context drives behavior. In the same email, Miss Pickle informed Miss Reed that the, quote, production and AD team have seen twice that there was a shotgun left unattended after a scene. Miss Fickle went on to say that she needed some type of check-in or out system put in place immediately. Miss Contreras responded by an email the same day saying that the armor job was a very serious job. And since we've started, I've had a lot of days where my job should only be to focus on the guns and everyone's safety. Miss Contreras said later in the email, there are working guns on its set every day, and those are ultimately going to be a priority because when they are not, that's when dangerous mistakes can happen. Ooh. On October 16, 2022, that's two years ago, Monday, also my 51st birthday uh, here, in 2021, there were two firearms misfires on the rest site. The, in the first instance, Sarah, Zachary, inadvertent fired a blank round as she finished loading a 45 caliber revolver that was aimed to the ground. But this is one, if you're handling any type of firearm, this is item number one. Do not point it at anyone. Uh, right? Period. End of discussion. Have it pointed at a safe location. In this case, it was to the ground. To return the hammer to the closed position, make the firearm safe, the operator must hold the hammer and depress the trigger, guiding the hammer to the closed position deliberately. In case of the first misfire, the hammer slipped from Miss Zachary's thumb or fingers, likely resulting in the firing pin on the hammer striking the primer, which ignited the powder, firing the blank round. So blank round has powder in it, right? That's a misfire. The second misfire on October 16th, they were having a real bad day. And again, this is where we get into an issue is, can you develop a trend? Not really, not really, but they happen at random. And in this case, 
right? A trend would be there was an accident here, there's an accident here, there's an accident here, then you have a big one. It's not usually how this happens. It happens at random. And in my experience, multiple things are going to happen on the same day or in the same very short time period. It is all right. Uh, no, so this is on a lever action rifle of unknown make and model. It's not known how the misfire happened, or according to some statements, he was alone in the cabin. This is the Lake Texera, the stunt double for Alec Baldwin. And others say he was not alone. Hannah Contoras Street said that Blake Texera's only comment was it just went off. Right? Uh Hannah Contoras Reed described that it is probable for the rifle of uh, the rifle fired by police by being placed onto the ground too roughly. Why would she know that? That would be a good question, I guess. Why would she know that? Has that happened before? Is that speculation? Is that some kind of a bias? My my experience uh, with it, yeah, maybe, depending on the thing, this could happen, but uh, probable. That's a loaded word in this report. I wonder if that came from her. Or is this an inference drawn by the uh, by the uh, investigator here? Going on, a couple of days before the incident, on October 17th, Hannah Contreras sent a message to Gabriel Picking, Pick, Pickles stating, Hey, we're on day eight of Armorer Days, so if there's gunfire after this, you may want to talk to the producers. Miss Pickle replied to the same day that there would be no more trading days, meaning uh, prop days and uh, armorer days. Ms. Gutierrez then asked to clarify, training days? Ms. Mickle responded, like training Alec and such? Okay. Now, when we go into a little bit further into this, you're going to realize and we had a story yesterday on, the, on an accident that happened at JFK Airport where nobody knew what was going on on that day, apparently, according to the paperwork that there was no job hazard analysis, and I'm drawing that small inference that there was no training and no notification, right? So keep that in mind here with that. No training, no mo no notification on a construction job resulting in two fatalities. Keep that in mind when I go further here. On October 20th, 2021, Lane Lufer, first assistant camera, resigned citing safety concerns, among other issues, and stated in an email to Roe Walters, during the filming of gunfights on this job, there are often played fast and loose. So far, there have been two accidental weapons discharges and one special effects FX, SFX explosive that have gone off around the crew between takes. Mr. Lufer went on to say, to be clear, there are no safety meetings these days. There have been no explanations as what to expect from these shots. Oh, okay. Here we are into the conclusions. We're on line 20. What page is this? Page 6 of 11. As a result of the inspection, OHSB determined that Russ was responsible for a serious violation of the New Mexico Occupational Safety and Health Act. So, uh, again, we talked about how this was settled. While no specific state or federal OSHA standards exist for firearms used in the film industry, again, General duty clause situation here. It's clear that both the employer and the film industry recognize the hazard associated with the use of firearms on movie sets, the potential for serious injury to employees. Further, Russ demonstrated plain indifference to the safety of employees by ignoring 
recognize hazards inherent to the use of firearms and ammunition by failing to take appropriate corrective or investigative actions after two firearms-related incidents occurred on October 16, 2021, and after employees notified management that they did not feel safe with how weapons were being handled on set. Russ failed to follow company safety procedures, which would have which likely would have prevented an accident from occurring. Again, no accident, no near-miss investigations, no incident investigations, no what the hell happened. I demand to know what the hell happened on this. Nothing, nada, according to this report on this. Again, it's all from New Mexico uh, OSHA, right? Rust management did not ensure their own safety procedures taken from film industry uh, safety bulletins issued by the Industry-Wide Labor, Labor Management Safety Committee were followed at the worksite. According to the General Safe Practices document provided by Russ, following safety bill bulletins were taken into consideration during the course of the production. Additionally, on January 7, 2022, Russ's attorneys informed uh, and New Mexico Environmental uh, Division I guess, that the safety bulletins used on set included recommendations for safety with firearms and use of blanking ammunition. Russ's use of procedures from safety bulletin one's recommendations for safety with firearms and use of blanking ammunition, and Russ's failures to effectively implement those procedures, including, right, uh, you have to have this, right, failure to implement Right. Uh, the standards list in bulletin one were not fair for not enforced by Russ managers. Wow. Live ammunition, bulletin one, page live ammunition is never to be used or brought on to any studio lot or stage. Bulletin one, page one, before any use of a firearm in a rehearsal or on camera sequence or off camera use, all persons involved must be thoroughly briefed at an on site safety meeting where the firearms will be used. This meeting shall include an on-site walkthrough or a dry run with the property manager. All, often called, and I'm, this is Jimmy saying this, often called a tabletop type thing, right? Or a rehearsal. Uh, so it has to be with everybody involved. So they didn't do that the day uh, that this happened, right? So, and... Often any and now they mention and often any mention about firearms was free and non-specific. So how are your safety meetings that you give in the morning? Are they a bunch of baloney? Are they like ah oh, we got to do another safety meeting today? We got to do another uh, blah, blah. well guess what? And this and uh, the industry safety industry often uh, up until like two thousand four two thousand five my experience, the only time we had a daily safety meeting was when we were dealing with hazmats because it was in the regulation that you have to give updates and things of that nature. And that's how the safety meetings uh, took place, right? So under the under the uh, construction industry, under OSHA, federal OSHA, not New Mexico OSHA, uh, right, they have in 1926.21 paragraph B, that they are, uh, you need to have education, kind of inform people of all different types of things, right? That's in the construction industry, not this, but again, this, the industry standard 
is that they have to go in there. And that's why it's important to have a meaningful safety meeting regularly here. No one shall be issued a firearm until he or she is trained in safe handling use or safety lock. If there are any questions as to the competent, so let's start again. Bulletin number one, page one. No one person shall be issued a firearm until he or she is trained in safe handling, safe use, the safety lock, and proper firing procedures. If there are any questions as to the competency of the person who will use the firearm, the property master or somebody shall determine if additional training is required. Page three, uh, and um, page three of that pamphlet, ensuring that a sufficient amount of time has been allotted for training and rehearsal. Again, they had this whole thing that was rushed, according to this document. Uh, and here it is, right? Gabriel Pickle. Oh, I hope Miss Reed's attorneys read this because this is, might be her get out of jail free card. Gabriel Pickle instructed Hannah Couture Street on October 17th that no more training days would take place, like training Alec and such. Rust management did not provide the armorer with the authority to determine if additional training was required in violation of Rust safety procedures. Additionally, this bulletin, meaning the one that they're talking about, bulletin number one, should be attached to the call sheet each day firearms will be used. Failure to implement. Between the unions... Uh, between the Screen Actors Guild and another group, IATSE, which represents the technicians and the Directors Guild of America, there are what we call safety memos, you know, that describe protocols. Quote, when asked if the safety memos are always sent to the call sheet, Halls, who is a uh, uh, someone else, Dave Halls, involved in them, no, they were not on our call sheets. Bolton well, 1-num Page two, never lay down a firearm or leave it unattended unless actively filming or rehearsing. All firearms should be safely secured. Didn't do that. All right. In here. Uh, and they and this admission by Gabriel Pickle then informed Hannah Gutierrez Reed that production and AD team have seen twice that there was shotgun left unattended. After a scene, we need to all weapons to be in your control at any time they are used. So now we have conflicting information. Is she the armorer? Is she not the armorer? I don't know. And again, why isn't your main... Why is one guy sitting on a folding chair talking off the back of his pickup truck? Why is that person going through this? And not all the other news outlets here. I don't know. Hannah informed Gabrielle it would slow down production terribly if we had to check them back. Uh, in between scenes, and when I'm forced to do both, that's when mistakes get made, like the shotgun being unattended. Gabriel Pickle instructed Hannah Gutierrez Reed to develop a check-in or out system for weapons, but did not follow up. So if you're a manager, are you following up on this stuff? And here we had someone who said, look, she's not uh, uh, an armor. She doesn't have authority. What's in our contracts? What should be in our contracts, according to my opinion? What should be in our contracts is, do we have the authority to hire, fire, discipline people, impact procedures, or anything like that? And if we do, we need it in writing. If we don't, we're, you know, we need that in writing. I just gave it to you in writing. Bulletin 1, page 2. Refrain from pointing a firearm at anyone if it is absolutely necessary to do so on camera. 
consult the property master or armor or other safety representatives, such as the first AD stage manager. Remember that any object that which you point a firearm could be destroyed. And I think we're going to have to take a brief intermission here uh, with this. So let's stop here. Okay, so we're back. Sun came out, got a little bit warmer. You know, it turned out to be a nice day. We're still on the Boltons here for uh, this Alec Baldwin situation, the original New Mexico uh, uh, accident report. So here we are on uh, page eight of the document. Bolton, number one, page two. Refrain from pointing a firearm at anyone. Enough said. Right. Uh, so failure to implement. Lane Looper said that many camera shots had the firearms pointed or firing at the camera. Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza were injured when a firearm was pointed in their direction with Hutchins injury resulting in death. Bus management representative Dave Halls was present prior to and at the time of the firearm discharge, a live round severely injuring two crew members. As Russ's top-level management safety official, Mr. Halls did not consult with the property master or armorer during or after the firearm was loaded, handed to the actor, and pointed towards crew members. I'd love to know what the context was for that one. All right, I think this is sort of like what we... I mean, I don't know if this happened, but we do know that uh, a lot of the acts of investigations we get involved with, they have what is called the donuts and coffee safety person. And enough said on that. Meaning that they sit in the trailer and all they do is eat donuts and drink coffee. And uh, firearms are to be located, this is bulletin number one, page two. Firearms are to be located, loaded just before they are used in a scene. On the day Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza were shot, the firearm was loaded and handed to Alec Baldwin during an informal rehearsal prior to filming the scene involving the firearms. Russ did not provide uh, responsible staff for ensuring firearm safety with sufficient time to inspect the ammunition received to ensure that no live rounds were present. During the misfire on October 16th, Russ failed to address the hazardous condition, right, and reinforce adherence to protocols. Russ management, again, this is all in the report, Russ management ignored concerns of firearm misfires on set, according to statements taken by uh, the OHSB, uh, Dave Halls, the safety coordinator, was present on the set when the first accidental discharge occurred. Mr. Halls did not discuss the incident with staff, report the incident to Russ producers, review the incident as safety coordinator, ensure Sarah Zachary took appropriate actions with respect to safety code protocols or take any other corrective measures. According to employees interviewed, including uh, Hanukkah Terrace Reed, crew members verbally expressed their surprise and their discomfort with rust management's lack of uh, action regarding the work site safety issue. A lot to digest here with this. How many times have you been on a job where something happens, and everyone's like, okay, just move on. We don't care. No investigation. No saying, you know, this is not like a minor thing here. Firearms going off. Ah, forget about it. 
How about uh, oh, caving? Oh, no shoring? Oh, don't worry about it. Can't worry about it. Russ initiated no investigation and investigative action. The second firearm misfire. And Dave Halls was present for that, too. Russ recognized the hazards associated with firearms and adopted safety bulletins that were designed to control and mitigate these hazards. Russ described these protocols being enforced by the first assistant director, who is the safety coordinator. Ryan Smith, producer, also stated during the closing conference that all members of the cast and crew have stopped work authority. Despite this, no corrective, investigative, or disciplinary action was taken after the first and second firearms misfires by any member of the management. Context drives behavior. People are influenced by incentives. What was the incentive here not to stop work? That's what my that's a that's a question here. Maybe that'll be answered later on. When the first assistant camera resigned, informing management that there was an ongoing lack of firearm safe practices, among other labor issues, that misfires had occurred, Russ management took no uh, took no uh, action to address workers' safety concerns. When the armor had used most of their contractually limited armor dates, they were issued a written instruction to focus less on their tasks, spend more time on assisting the props department. When the armor uh, expressed a need to ensure actors be able to safely handle a firearm with a holster, they were told by line producer that the armor would be informed if that was necessary. When the armor was scheduled to train the stunt crew on firearm safety, she was told that the stunt coordinator would handle that. Okay. Uh, the employer demonstrated plain indifference to the hazards associated with firearms by routinely failing to practice line 28 out of the report and failing to ensure that the handling of deadly weapons was afforded the time and effort needed to keep the cast and crew safe. Additionally, the employer disregarded or otherwise did not follow up, ask questions, or try to understand what happened when employees notified management about the misfire instance and not feeling safe on set. The safety coordinator was present on set and took no direct action to address safety concerns. Management was provided multiple opportunities to take corrective actions and chose not to. As a result of these failures, director Joel Souza and cinematographer uh, Helena Hutchins were severely injured. Helena Hutchins is her crime, so come to her injuries. So uh, that was basically it with that. Now, let us go and look up. Uh, because I want to make sure this is complete here on this. So we're going to pause. Here. And I let me look up Dave Hall. So here we have from ABC News, Meredith Delizo, first assistant director for Russ, has been sentenced to six months unsupervised probation as part of a plea deal in connection with the fatal 
on set shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Dave Hall, 63, was charged with negligent use of a deadly weapon in connection. The October 2021 shooting on the Santa Fe set of the Western Halls handed a Colt 45 allegedly to Alec Baldwin that fired when the actor was practicing a cross draw. Okay. So that's what he got on that. Now, this is what I want to uh, point out here with this. A lot to be learned from with all of this. How many times are we on jobs where we have standards that are just not followed, just not complied with? It's all a joke. Whether it's uh, your know, simple hard hat safety glasses situation or whether it's something more technical or what we call a high gravity uh, situation. Happens all the time. Do you exercise that stop work authority? When you say, oh, yeah, we have stop work authority. Do you really have stop work authority? I shared the story of someone uh, on a project uh, a couple of years back. They were a new safety person. And I was involved in an incident investigation. It was a near miss. And one of the questions came up, do you have stop work authority? Do Are you you're listed as the competent person? Do you have the ability to correct the hazard? What did her boss say? If she corrects the hazard, she had better be right. And if she shuts down a job, she had better be right. So do you really have that type of stop work authority? That's, that's a question that has to be asked here. What about uh, if you're a safety professional and see stuff going on and you say nothing and do nothing? I'm sure Mr. Hall's here, according to uh, press reports, wish he said something here. Again, what was driving the production was production, production driving safety. I really don't know how this is going to turn out for Mr. Baldwin, but... Just in listening to this program, there's if you're a safety professional, it's a must that we study this. We can study this with our uh, co-workers, read about this and study this, present this, to use it like a case study. So now you can say, well, hey, look, this is a case study where we have a lot of the same ad- uh, alleged attitudes that they had here. A lot of these findings and everything else. And then we have uh, where we could have an issue. This is where our weak point is. If you're, let's say that you're a safety professional and you cannot correct situations like this, what do you do then? What do you do? Do you stay? Do you go? Do you try to fix things on the inside? Do you have that C-suite, right? CEO, CFO, COO, any of those level people on your side? If you don't, this is an example of what could go wrong. And I want to thank and congratulate 
the state of New Mexico for issuing this and thank them for issuing this accident report so it, we get some insight and place some of this in context. Again, this is a one-sided report from the from New Mexico OSHA. I'm sure that there are other sides here. And I'm going to point out that everybody here is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And a lot of this stuff, as we saw in this case, got negotiated downward. And this would be a phenomenal case study for anybody there in graduate school or who's doing training or anything else to actually go and uh, study here, to present. Uh, I would be interested at the end of this what the, all the legal cases, what all the legal documents are, and I'm going to be following this, and we're going to be following this here on Safety Wars and refer back to this program uh, when... Uh, this finally goes to trial, if it goes to trial. Uh, so, for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. to discuss uh, something that I always got a lot of questions on here, and that is the OSHA Outreach Training Program. What exactly is it? We cover this on the regular show, and we discuss, hey, this is a not a certification. This is an awareness level training, meaning that you take this training and you cannot use it anywhere else as far as, well, I'm excavation trained. I'm respiratory protection trained, and all of the other topics that are included in the course. The reason being is that every one of these courses is supposed to be tailor-made to the people you're giving it to. So some things, some topics may be in there, some topics may not be in there. What are some of the basic outlines of this? What are the requirements? You have to be a authorized trainer, not certified, an authorized trainer from OSHA, and you normally go to an outreach training center to get the credential. And that normally uh, takes about two weeks where you need a standards class. This doesn't matter. And this is for maritime, general industry, and construction where you need a standards class, usually around four or five days. And upon completion and passing of that, there is a test that you can fail. 
then you're eligible for the outreach training uh, credential, assuming that you can pass all the requirements of so credentials, the uh, experience, you're not a criminal, you're not banned for whatever reason, you're able to do that. Then you go out and you're able to give a outreach training program course, either a 10 hour or 30 hour. Or if you're a disaster uh, response worker trainer, that is seven and a half or 15 hours. Back in the day, for example, you could give uh, more than seven and a half hours of training in a day. We're talking before, I believe it was 2010. Since 2010, you're only allowed to give seven and a half hours if you're a trainer, seven and a half hours of training in a day, or if you're a student, you receive seven and a half hours of training in a day. What does this work out to? This works out to for the 30 hour tra training for seven and a half hour days at the fastest. And if you're a 10 hour trainer, you're allowed to do a seven and a half hour one day and two and a half the next day. But normally that's broken out into two 10 hour days. All right. Now, I have the OSHA Outreach Training Program pamphlet here that we're going to go through. And what what does that include? This is uh, the January first, twenty nineteen edition. Uh, I don't know if uh, there go. I just downloaded this today on from the OSHA website. I'm not certain whether or not this is going to be updated or not updated, but it has not been updated. Uh, in January, it'll be five years uh, for that. It is what it is. Uh, what are some of the requirements? General requirements. You need to uh, have uh, uh, between three and 40 participants because it's meant to be an interactive class. This, generally speaking, has to be done in person, even though there are some online programs out there. Some of them are better than others. Uh, when I see uh, uh, pe uh, people come up, well, I've had this online, now, even because it's not a actual credential, it is a awareness level training. Now I have to worry. I, yeah, how's this going? What no, what's going on here? Uh, does this person really know what they know? Want to know? I have to do that with a lot of in person people also. Well, did this was this person actually at the class? Was this person here? Upon doing a lot of accident investigations. I find out that around metro areas that make this course a requirement of, for work, more or less a work working paper, that's where you need to watch out because they sell these things on the street. And pardon me, this is not a uh, hmm. So when I find out when I get into like a major metropolitan area that uses this as part of their working papers uh, situation is that that's when you need to watch out because they're selling this on the street. I find this out through the acts investigations and everything else that I do. But where I have this, well, I see your 30 hour train. Are you 30 hour train? Are you 10 hour trained? Yeah, Jim, I'm 10 hour trained. Yeah, I'm a 30 hour train. I'm this, I'm that, blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. Uh, let me see your credential. Oh, oh, okay. And they'll produce it. I'll run the back of it on, uh, there's a QR code. 
make sure it's legitimate. And oftentimes what comes up is, oh yeah, I never, my boss handed it to me. I don't know anything about it. Very frustrating for people who do legitimate uh, outreach uh, training. Then we have, to, so now you're in the course, what do you have to be? You, you know, there are certain requirements here. So let's start out with the 10 hour course uh, requirements. This is for construction here and we'll do this here. All right. So you have, this is for 10 hour course. You have a mandatory six hours. Hour one, introduction to OSHA, right? Very simple. For construction, you have the focus four hazards. You have to have a training on falls for a minimum of one hour and 30 minutes, electrocution struck by and caught in between. So for falls is an hour and 30 minutes. The rest have to be covered for a minimum of one half hour. And for total, that comes out to four hours. Uh, I'm sorry, five hours mandatory training. Those are the mandatory uh, for that. Then you have personal protective equipment. That's part of the mandatory program also. And health hazards in construction, another 30 minutes. So doing your math, that comes out to five hours. Right? So you have one hour intro, four hours OSHA focus four. And then you have 30 minutes personal protective and life-saving equipment and health hazards. Now you're able to go into the elective and this is for two hours and you must prevent at, present at least two hours of training on the following topics. And at least two topics must be presented. The minimum length of any topic is one half hour. So you have a choice between cranes, excavations, materials, handling, storage and useful and disposal, scaffolds, stairways and ladders and tools. Now you can see where certain things you don't have to include. So for example, with that recent accident at a JFK airport with a double fatality, those folks are probably 30 hour trained, but may not have the training in excavations, may not have the training in cranes, may not have the training in scaffold. No, and this goes everywhere. So what ends up having to happen is you being the employer have to supplement or have to uh, do the training in accordance to the regulation or other requirements. That's what one of the questions was today. Jim, we have training in this, 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 and this. Can't you just give us a uh, 30-hour course? And I said, no, a 30-hour credential? No, I can't. I have to go through the whole thing. And then you have an optional two hours where you have to teach other construction industry standards or policies and or expand on the mandatory or elective topics. The minute minimal length of any topic is one half an hour. That's what it is. And that takes two days minimum on a 10 hour course. Then you have the 30 hour construction industry outreach training course. This is a little bit different. This is a little bit more comprehensive. So remember, this is over four days. You have introduction to OSHA for one hour. So uh, with that and same as the 10 hour, that used to be three hours, but now it's one hour. Managing health and safety, two hours, where we talk about your I2P2 programs and 
Accidents, Injury, and Illness Prevention Programs, Job Site Inspections, Accident Prevention Programs, Management Commitment and Employee Involvement, Work Site Analysis, Hazard Prevention and Control, Accident Investigations, How to Conduct Safety Meetings and Supervisory Communications. And you have the OSHA Focus, focus for Hazards for six hours, and those are still the same, falls, electrocution, struck by, caught, and or between. PPE for two hours, life-saving equipment, health hazards in construction for two hours, and stairways and ladders for one hour. This comes down to a mandatory 14 hours, so you're halfway there. So you're going to have roughly, and this doesn't have to be in order, but you're going to have roughly uh, two uh, days of this training in a row. Right, 14 hours and a little bit more. Then you have an elective 12 hours. You must present at least 12 hours of training on the following topics. At least six of those topics, six of these following topics must be presented. The minimum length of any topic is one half an hour. And that's this big long list. Uh, and if you're going to do foundations for safety leadership, that is a specific. Uh, uh, document in OSHA that they have, I often include my leadership pr uh, presentation on this in this area. F uh, no, the foundations for leadership cover that and everything else I included in there. We talk about all that stuff. That's why often the 30-hour course is meant for supervisors because you're, or managers, supervisors, foremen. This way you're able to go and uh, no, instruct them a little bit more in depth. I tell you what, the safety management foundations for safety leadership, that's often not gonna, going to interest a lot of workers on that. However, some areas like New York City Department of Buildings make it mandatory, 30-hour uh, training. Optional of four-hour series, teach other construction industry standards or policies and or expand on the mandatory or electric elective topics. The minimum level, the minimum length of any topic is one half hour. So any of those. Then you have industry uh, specific topics. Uh, that's a reserve thing. And if you look through the book, they have different training websites and things of that nature on there. And with that, that is the basic OSHA outreach training course. If you're interested in taking any of these courses, and that's reconstruction, general industry has a similar setup, maritime has a similar setup, you give us a call back here at 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywars.com, and we will go and we will discuss what your needs are. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel.